0: a democratic socialist at the time i couldn't vote didn't really wasn't actively involved in politics from a voting perspective but actively involved because my dad was very involved in politics Mm -hmm. and so under michael manley in jamaica in the 1970s jamaica first got jamaica we we got a minimum wage parental leave uh, free education, health care, etc under democratic socialism. So I say to people when in, in the United States people are talking about democratic socialism, I grew up as a Democratic socialist in Jamaica. This isn't anything new to me. And why do I think Bernie Sanders is, is the best choice for our people as black people? is he's offer, we're talking about health care for everyone. What is driving a lot of people bankrupt right now is health care costs. Mm-hmm. How many people have had to quit their jobs, quit so many other areas of their lives so they can focus on health care or find money to pay for health care? The other point is education. What are our students drowning in right now? And all students, there's a meme that's on social media that talks about um, that People or students are saying that they will spend a week in jail to forgive their loans, and then other people are commenting like, "Yo, I will do a month," and he's saying we are going to forgive that, right? And if we look, at, if we look at our community in the black community. What are we looking for? We're not looking for handout. This whole notion about the big black buck that came out of the Reagan administration and black people on welfare, welfare queen. that's not right. who we are as a people, and the, the, the construct of the welfare queen, we are not looking for handout. What we're looking for is, is working hard and succeeding like everybody else. So if we have health care... And if you look at the healthcare care um, statistics within the black community, on any given Sunday, we are always at the bottom of the list. Cancer, um, diabetes, mm-hmm. um, blood pressure. High blood you name pressure. It, mm-hmm. We are always at a disadvantage. So here is Bernie saying, look, we're going to take care of you health wise. You won't be struggling with the student loan debt. So now when you get out of school, right away, you can start earning money so you can buy a home. We also see the statistics about home ownership in the black community where all these major banks stereotyping black people and either one, it's not giving us mortgages, Mm -hmm. or two, are giving us mortgages at extremely high rates that a lot of people had fold on their houses. And Bernie's saying, look, we're gonna take care of these things. If you look at the Nordic countries, where they are, Finland and Denmark, for example, that are the happiest countries in the world, what do we see What from what Bernie's offering? Health care and education, right? Because when we look at social ills within our society, wherever there are social ills, you will see crime, drug use, teenage pregnancy, health uh, disparities you these are in any country that you go to so if we are saying you we're gonna once you leave school you're gonna be able to work you're gonna be able to build a family but if you get sick you also don't have to worry so all of this money and energy that you're making we're gonna put into growing the black family look (laughs) come on man I Look at what we've right. accomplished with everything that is stacked against us. Think about if we—if if the two big things that can lift us lift us out of poverty, education and good health—and if we have those two things, look, we're already unstoppable as it is with everything that the oppressor is trying to do.
1: Oh, absolutely!
0: Wow! I agree. So, yes. Travis, Amen. Your turn.
1: Oh, oh yes. God. Wow. <laughs> Let me just, if you're
2: just now tuning in, that was Dr. Winsome um she knew. She knew, mm-hmm. And I brought her in. We are on the last day, the last uh Monday for Doc Power Hour in February. And she has just gave us an overview about her bae. Hashtag Bernie Bay. Hashtag did I do that? Yeah. Hashtag Bernie yes. Bay. Yeah, and Bernie she bay. made a powerful statement of why he is so important to this election. Okay.
0: (laughs) So the black
2: community, the black community. Absolutely.
1: And I, I'm as a disclaimer, (laughs) I will support, (laughs) I will support the democratic nominee, whoever that may be. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Okay. Thank you for bringing that up, Travis. I will also support whoever the democratic nominee is.
1: There you go. Absolutely. Um, but I believe in the current system that we're at. I think we're in a state of emergency in this country. And this is not uh, a platform to bash uh, Bernie Sanders. But my fear is, is that the sitting president of the United States is the face of capitalism. And I fear the populace, the way that he will frame Sanders as a quote-unquote socialist from a fear perspective uh, could hurt the down ballot, the down, the, uh, the down ballot and the uh, 2020 presidential election. So that's one thing that I'm a little cautious about Bernie Sanders. I, I agree with his message. I agree with a lot of the, what he says. But I think from a practical standpoint, a moderate needs to um, take on the helm of the Democratic Party uh, so I'm supporting Joe Biden. As a matter of fact, I've already submitted our ballot, my ballot mm-hmm. uh, in the state of Colorado. And I wish more states would do this um, because we have a very high turn, uh voter turnout uh, is that we get mail in ballots. So you have an opportunity to take it home, study it, mm-hmm. um, and you're not under the pressures of the voting booth to vote. So uh, but I'm supporting Joe Biden and for a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, I am from South Carolina, born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, or born in Rock Hill, South Carolina, but grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, So if you understand South Carolina politics, especially um, African-American politics, uh, we're by no means a monolithic group, but we are practical Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of that. To me, Joe Biden represents President Barack Obama, Barack Obama's legacies, that he will continue uh, the policies that have helped African Americans that have helped uh, Americans in general. So, uh, for me, it's Joe Biden and
2: 2020. Now, that's that. Oh, that, that's a compliment because both of you have compelling arguments, mm-hmm. and I, I feel that like we have this fear going on with uh, Bernie Sanders. We also have it with Joe Biden because you can bring into context of what he has in his international affairs and what oh, is, totally uh, yes yeah, so he has all his issues those, <laughs> i think you know the republican party is prepared for any even elizabeth warren totally totally prepared on whoever becomes the democratic nominee is you know we can break them we if you go far less to the social democrat if you go to a modern there are things there that they can use as a weapon to destroy this whole ticket mm-hmm. and that's and it, hopefully we figure out the debates the didn't i don't know they said bernie was coming out on top you know but again and i understand what you're saying it is that fear that they're going to put in him that they're not going to elect a social democrat right you know it's it's that constant fear and then they have booted oh, all they put it off i don't even know to touch budashay they don't put out so much stuff about him. i just he's He's probably basically done at this particular time. uh, And they don't feel that the United States is ready for that. Mm -hmm. Not only the United States, but the international arena. Right.
1: Go ahead, Winsome.
0: Well, they don't feel that the United States is ready for that because it is challenging capitalism and the capitalist structure. And if we are, and as black people, we're saying, look, this is what is the capitalist structure which is the struct, which is the foundation of slavery, has never helped black people and has never been for black people, largely, right? Are there black pe- blacks that have benefited from the capitalist endeavor? Absolutely, mm-hmm. and we see that. But the United States has the largest gap between the rich and the poor of any country in the Western Hemisphere. Come on, give me a break. And on top, and on top of that, we also lag behind all developed countries when it comes to healthcare care and education yet yep. we are the we are we have the largest economy and the richest country in the world how do we reconcile those two things and this notion that we all oh, people are not going to buy it because of this and because of that it's the same it's 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 about messaging and 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 going back to our book and how we create fair. So if we're saying we can never get, okay, every time we declare war.
1: We vilify. One
0: of the things I never hear is how are we going to pay for it? How many trillions of dollars have we spent on war since
2: Mm 9-11? Trillions. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And this is all just like facts that people can Google. Yet, when Bernie Sanders says, we are going to give our people health we're going to give them education because those are fundamental to any democracy and if we want to move our country forward the first thing is how are we going to pay for it how the hell have we paid for all these other wars right that have not helped the average american including uh poor whites because poor whites also. I live in Athens, Ohio. I'm in the heart of Appalachia. Yep. I see uh-huh. the disparity where I live. We we are struggling. Struggling with the opioid epidemic.
1: Wow. It has
0: hit yeah. people very close to me. Mhm.
1: Uh-huh. It's bad there.
0: Yeah. It, it, uh, and and and, and how are we, how, how do we then talk about, how are we going to pay for these things? Well, how have we spent a trillion dollars on war so far? Where did all that money come from?
2: Wow. Those are very valid and important points. It's how, can, how are we going to pay? Because it is that fear that says uh, somewhere along the way is going to compromise your way of life. And if, you know, we have this way of life that is tied into capitalism. And then they are, they are always going to bring up what's, what's going on in Cuba, what's, what's happening in the Soviet Union. And Bernie Sanders, they feel that he has this love affair with Soviet Union, with the Russia. Right. And at the same time, Trump was vilified for that and so now we we're on the helms of this social democrat into communism and here it it is you know paving the way for fear and i understand
1: and it's it's the perception again
2: right how do
0: we do this right so go back to slavery just a moment travis go ahead let's go back to slavery when they were talking about ending slavery what what were people saying it was the same It was the same nonsense.
1: Right, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going
0: to survive as an Mm -hmm. economy? Mm -hmm. Who is going to clean? And and people in the South, who is going to nurse our babies? Who is going to clean our houses? Where is this money going to come from, right? And so the argument, it it was was purely Mm economic. If we stop treating Black people like dogs, then we're going to suffer, and so we have to continue this thing called slavery.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: One could use the same argument the same way. If we are going to provide equality for people in this country, then something is going to have to suffer. And what is is, is going to have to suffer, which Bernie Sanders is saying, is the capitalist is the capitalist system that has done very little to advance the large majority of Americans.
1: And Winsome, go, uh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Okay, Travis, go ahead. Oh yeah, I, sorry to cut you off. I, I think this is where um, my worry is. And I think I, whoever's listening out there tonight, uh, as you think about this uh, upcoming election, it's important that the voting population is educated. And I'm not saying right. educated and understanding just the basic procedures of voting, but I'm talking about uh, from the context of Malcolm X where he argued that, you know, people should study the history. They should study history and study the law. So understanding mm-hmm. that, you know, having a president of the United States or the consequences of an election can tilt uh, the Supreme Court can impact uh, federal judges at the judicial oh. circuit, right? Just which happened recently, the Ninth Judicial Circuit, yeah. uh, no, yeah. so the Ninth Circuit of, of Appeals, excuse me, in, in San Francisco is now tilted to the right. Now, so these elections have these consequences. So those are things. I encourage folks, but more in my class when we talk about politics, um, but also within the within the framework of history of understanding, this is why it's important to be part of this um, this democratic experiment because you know voting at not just for the presidential election but voting in just being an active citizen. Has an impact on your daily lives.
2: And we still have this AHO system that we have to contend with, which is the electoral college. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, yeah. e- even though he may win the popular vote because he got a lot of the young vote, it's that electoral college, that system that we have tried to get rid of four years ago that they were lobbying to get rid of. Three fifths compromise. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> yep.
1: that's all it was all about. But I'm sorry no, to cut you go off. Go ahead. I want right. you
2: to talk because a lot of people don't really understand. The purpose uh, and, and the genesis of that electoral college right and and that lack of understanding is polarizing people to gen- think beyond the possibility that you may have another four years of Donald Trump. go ahead yeah, and
0: what And while I get it with the, what the, the, what the electoral college was trying to do initially, so one of the examples that is often cited. In political science classes is so the idea is that if everyone has so many electoral college votes or every state in the Union will be important and so say West Virginia for example I mm-hmm. we border I border West Virginia I'm 45 minutes away from West Virginia mm-hmm.
1: country road mm
0: mm-hmm. huh take me home <laughs> <Please> <laughs> Oh, um, there's a whole West Virginia story that I have, but that's that's for another time. So, um, when we look, so they're saying because West Virginia is a small state, Connecticut is a small state, mm-hmm. Rhode Island, etc. Without electoral, without the electoral college, candidates may never even go there to campaign or take their issues seriously because it's like they're so small; the impact. They won't necessarily have an impact. So the idea of the Electoral College is irrespective of your size, because you need those votes, you have to go to all those states, take all their issues seriously.
2: Yeah, Winsome, just go ahead and say, it. you guys want to control Texas.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just <laughs> we got to control the darn Texas uh-huh. you know what well, uh, te- yeah. You know, I Texas the, the 7 star the union with the second largest
0: number of electoral college votes come on Texas uh-huh. and I the 7 star of the confederacy year. at
2: one point of time uh-huh. so I know it's I know that's coming but <laughs> yep. you know and you know and it would I- devastate California if Texas just you know, got Texas way, but, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and because of its history. So, yeah, I want to, we're going to have to take a, just a quick break because I want to dive into the book and, you know, we probably going to have to bring you guys back on to deal with, as we uh, navigate through election series uh, season. I didn't know that you had a just research and remarkable stance on uh, Bernie Sanders and brought into perspective your experience from Jamaica, Michael Mann, the PNP party, JLP. I think it's PNP and JLP party. I know I did that yes, thing. She knows,
1: she... <laughs> I did,
2: you know what? I came there on the heels of all that trauma. Weight. Don't ever, if anybody asks you about your political affiliation, you that's when you stand up and tell them you're an American. <laughs> You know, because at one point I was blending in. I just blended in. But they said when they ask you that, you have to stand up and say, you know what, because they went over that whole history with me. But let me go, and I have to take a brief break and just say you're on Doc Power Hour. Doc Power Hour is supported by the Doc Bookshop, and we also have our other supporter that is, you know, that kind of takes time to – share and come by the bookstore and supports the radio and that is Bobby Edmonds and she has her little tip for today that I need to go ahead and share with you and then we'll be back on to talk about the book historicizing fear ignorance and Bilification and othering with Dr. Travis Boyce and Dr. Winsome Chanute.
0: Hi, I'm Attorney Bobby Edmonds with your legal tip for the week. Today we will
2: talk You're back on Doc Power Hour, where we look at bringing you the most relevant information dedicated to discussing and analyzing social, political, economic, cultural, and international issues that confront various communities all over the country. And of course, I am your host, Danya Corradox. We are on the second part, second leg of our show. I mean, we had a very engaging if you missed the first part of the show it was just totally engaging when it comes to what's going on in the current election pro- process and we gave a you know an overview of how we felt about the kobe Bryant memorial so we're really taking care of business as we in uh, as we're on the last leg of black history month i Oh just to go over all the stuff we did on Black History Month we talked to Dr. Shafisha Hill dealing with Black History 101 and we went through Black Political Thought uh, Black Political Thought with Dr. Sharon Pinder from the University of California in Chino and so we are really diving in, especially in 2020, not just dealing with the whole bunch of first, first steps, which is truly important in terms of Black History Month, but we want to really dive into the social issue, kind of give a root in terms of how we function, how we think, the things that we do today. And for the second part of the show, we are going to talk about the book, historic history <laughs> i just massacred a massacre the cover of this you know that's my <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> re- relaxification as um anthony brother would put it but histor historizing say it for me travis <laughs>
1: historicizing doing- fear
2: historicizing fear i was doing perfect the first part of the show but you know when we started doing all this politics i got kind of frazzled so um <laughs> But again, uh, Historicizing Fear is a historical uh, interrogation of the use of fear as a tool to vilify and persecute groups and individuals from a global perspective, offering an unflinching look at racism, fearful framing, oppression, and marginalization across human history. This book examines fear, and othering from a historical context, providing a better understanding of how power and oppression are used in the present day. I have Dr. Winsom Chanu and Travis Boyce that are from the University of Northern Colorado. And again, Travis is in the areas of research with contemporary African American history and pop culture. And Winsome, Dr. Winsome Chenu is a director of multicultural programs at Ohio University. Her areas of expertise are educational policy, policy implementation, race and politics, and popular culture. And I am happy to have them on to talk about this book. So let's get started on this book. You guys, can you just go over a brief overview? Because you guys wrote the introduction of this book. And it's just kind of go over the whole makeup of this book and the contents of this book. Who wants to start?
1: Sure. Hey, Winsome, I can start first if you would like me to.
2: Okay, no, you go ahead, Travis.
1: Sure, sure. First of all, we we would Winsome and I are are indebted to the wonderful editors, uh I'm sorry, the wonderful contributors to um uh this book project. They were the ones that made this project the way it was. So I just want to acknowledge them. And secondly, I do appreciate um the folks from the University Press of Colorado, uh, whom about six years ago, right, Winsome, that gave us an opportunity. And it was an ongoing project. And uh, I'm happy they worked with us to completion on this. And I think it was certainly well worth it. Um, mm-hmm. so,
0: as well as Jan Hall, our editor. Oh,
1: absolutely. We can't forget Jan. Jan, just really quick, Jan has uh, edited my PhD dissertation 10 years ago. Go ahead. Uh so that's uh, we keep a great professional relationship in terms of research and writing. So, for scholars out there, students out there, it's always good to get a second set of eyes, uh, before submitting a, a, a paper or an article for publication or a book project. Uh, so about six years ago, um, Wintum and I, uh, co uh, published a book chapter. Um, And Dr. Novotny Lawrence, Lawrence's book called Documenting the Black Experience, um, Essays in African-American History uh, and Nonfiction Film. And our chapter looks specifically at the Orange Bird Massacre in 1968, um, where three African-American college students on the campus of South Carolina State University were shot and killed by the South Carolina Highway Patrol, Uh, 27 other Students uh, were shot. They were protesting. This was during the civil rights movement, the la- latter part of the civil rights movement. But the gist of the book looks specifically at how black uh, empowerment is seen as, a, as a, a fear in the white community. So we thought about this in the sense of, or a threat to the white community, to w- the threat to the social order. So we thought about this uh, after publishing it, of, of turning it into a book project. And uh, we reached out to several um, publications, press, and uh, the University Press of Colorado uh, ultimately accepted our proposal. And we did a call for papers. And uh, what we wanted to look at more specifically, again, is that how fear is used as a political tool, as a propaganda tool to oppress other people. That's the broad gist of of it. And not only here in the United States, or a white versus black, but you could look at it from a variety of angles. Um, for example, in uh, in uh, in Britain, you know, with the Brexit issue, uh, that is, those issues dealt specifically with uh, primarily of, of of the fear of immigrants of or, or dealt uh, sol- sorry, excuse me, it dealt specifically with immigrants. In terms of a factor of of the Brexit issue, so fear can be used in a variety of issues uh, to address uh, to oppress groups of people. Let's see, and so we do it. The book is divided into ten chapters, and so there is a chapter uh, on Trayvon Martin. Um. There's a chapter on the Tang Dynasty, another chapter, and I think it's very relevant today in terms of the coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Melanie Armstrong presented a chapter on microbe culture, germ politics, and the unseen racial history of nature. Uh, There's also a chapter on white power music. Uh, Winsome and I contributed a chapter on D.W. Griffith's A Birth of a Nation, and we framed that within the President Barack Obama era uh, there's a chapter as well as on the fear of the uh, Vietnam War veteran. Uh, the uh, sorry, the, the, the myth of the addicted army, the Vietnam in Vietnam, the fear of the junkie veteran. So dealing specifically with uh, this aspect of drugs and how it's how groups, in this case, the federal government and mainstream America view returning vets coming home from Vietnam, among other chapters.
2: Okay. With Dr. Winston-Chanue, did you want to go ahead and add to that?
0: No, that's good. I think Travis did a good job capturing the essence of the book, what led up to it, then the chapters, et cetera. Right.
2: Okay. I don't want to, I know we're dealing with politics and we just came off the hill of politics, but I do want to really, especially at what occurred in Dallas-Fort Worth and how beer was used in the last election. And you write in the... I want to get rid of my fear. Uh, I think that's a very important piece to the book, and in that you talk about America was shocked to, the, to its core when our uh, police officers in Dallas were brutally executed. In days after Dallas, we have seen, excuse me, we have seen continued threats and violence against our law enforcement officials. Law officers have been shot or killed in recent days in Georgia, Missouri, Wisconsin, Kansas, Michigan, and Tennessee. On Sunday, during this, during that violence that touched Dallas some years ago, on Sunday, more police were gunned down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Three were killed and four were badly injured. And you talk about that in terms of... Trump used that to promote division instead of offering ideas of reconciliation. Trump conjured up reasons for agitation instead of providing reassurance. Trump preached fear of the other. His convention speech and rhetoric during the 2016 presidential primary and general election campaign reflected these issues, especially fear and the other. So we talk, can you really, let's go in and kind of define what fear is and how it can be used. And then let's talk about what other is. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're talking about the definition of fear and how w- at one point Trump used that fear, but how that fear, what is really fear and what is other. So who wants to jump on that question?
1: <laughs> really good questions. You want to take that one? So I
0: could, go ahead. Travis, I could take fear. You could take other. So that's where tag teaming. Sounds good. So, just for the audience, I'm calling in. I'm on on the phone from Ohio, and Travis is actually in the studio. So, uh, so fear for us is anything, and this is a really simplistic definition, but for your audience, it helps to kind of on a for a radio to make it take it home for people. Anything that m- makes you feel like Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh, I won't have this or that. Oh, my gosh, this is not good. And so from the perspective of this book, that's how we're looking at fear. So if someone says, Vietnam vets are coming back and they're drug addicts. So whenever you see them, if they ask you for money, don't give it to them because They're just a bunch of drug addicts looking for money. And if you think about that as coming from entities that you, quote, unquote, trust, is it coming from the news? Is it coming from books? Is it coming from articles? Is it coming from your parents? Right. And so how do I now react to this when people I trust are telling me, that I should be scared of this thing. That's how we're looking at fear.
1: Correct. And to tag in, you know, and, you know, that othering is the impact, is the consequence of that fear. So, you know, so for example, if we use the, you know, the fear of the addicted veteran that returns home, there is a... Image that's constructed in society's mind of what a drug user looks like. And normally, it's not a positive thing. You know, the othering of African Americans or black people, you know, in a pejorative way can be framed in a context where it's not a positive thing that causes a moral panic. So that's what that othering piece comes from. It's this... It's this image that's based on this fear, this mm-hmm. consequence of fear, based on that rhetoric.
2: It just seems it has changed over time because I'm looking at, you know, fear in terms of, and Winston mentioned this earlier about the survival of uh, white supremacy, protecting mm-hmm. the annihilation of the white male, and is that fear that we have to control? Blacks, because they are actually a commodity. They seen us as a commodity, so they're 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 using the spirit in 1600s and slavery in exactly. the enslavement of our African people. And now today, it seems like it has shifted from that which is you know protecting white culture white privilege to now using that to say hey it's racism he's more racist than me everybody's pointing a finger no you're racist it, that's what a bunch of children on tape on 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 stage ta- using fear as in terms of racism do you you agree with that or You know, what is that that shift from then to now? Do you see that shift?
1: I actually see a continuation. I mean, I'm glad you brought that. I mean, you can frame that in a variety of things. I think I see a continuation of issues uh, Mm -hmm. where uh, if we look at white supremacy, it's so it's entrenched in our our laws, our culture. And even in our minds, or in our imagination, mm-hmm. um, that we act out in various ways, and over time. And I wanted to bring up this as an example. I mean, you know, this year marks the fifth anniversary of the shootings in Charleston, South Carolina, right. when right. where Dylan Roof, you know, mm-hmm. who was radicalized online, mm-hmm. um, and went to Mother Emanuel A.M.E. Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and shot those nine folks, and. You know,
0: published an article on that as well.
1: Yes, in fact, yes, we did. Yes, and if we look at like Roof as an example in terms of maintaining white supremacy, he's saying he's sticking to the same playbook in many respects that his count- i mean, his uh, predecessors a mm-hmm. uh, hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. This idea that Dylan Roof felt that we have to protect this system. So therefore, I have to take you out, and that's what Dylan Roof actually said: that you're raping our women, you know, you're destroying our country, and I have to put you in my in your place. Mm-hmm. So that fear right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and that othering right mm-hmm. there, it's played out right there in that shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, as an example. So my argument would be that it's ongoing in this right. country's history,
2: right? And it's it's interesting that you said it's ongoing, especially that we're on the heels of that conversation on Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Malcolm X uh, was assassinated, what, February 21st, 1965. And it is that same type level of fear that we said, hey, you had this Dr. Martin Luther King, and then you have this other dynamic here, which is Malcolm X. And that was, you know, again, that, we have to continue to treat these people in a certain way because this is the capability. This is that level of militancy which he, he defined. How can I ever be a militant mm-hmm. if I don't? I don't have military. I don't have what you have. But I, what I am seeking is human rights, my human dignity, and it's just just the different usage of fear, to you know, to play out what they want to do to further control exactly the blacks, the black people, blacks, and so um oh of course.
0: Cool. I mean, this country has always been about controlling the black body. Exactly. So I'm gonna... that goes back to 1619 when the first 20 slaves landed in Jamestown, Virginia, and it has continued on to this day. Mm-hmm. Is And it's not just about controlling the black body. It's also, so now, okay, so now we have somewhat shifted, right? So it was initially about controlling the black body because at the time, we weren't supposed to, we're slaves. We didn't know how to read. We didn't know how, they, they're not going to teach us all that stuff. So all they're going to do is control our, our body. And in, in, in essence, then they'll be controlling our minds. Now, that, and if we go back to that African proverb about um, until the lion gets his historian, story and the tale of hunting, right, it's hunt. always, we'll always glorify the hunter, which is why I'm ecstatic that you all invited us. And that we still have a black bookstore in Texas because a big part of that is showing. Is, is like letting our people know that now we have a voice. We can write our own stories. We have our bookstores where you can come and buy our books. We have our radio programs where you can listen to black scholars. And we can articulate about what is happening to us, right? And so now it's also now about controlling the black mind.
1: Right. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Because now that we can know that we are our... Now that the lion has found this historian and the tale of hunting is no longer glorifying the the white male Christian author who has historically written about us, now we need to find a way to control black thought. We can't have these black people thinking that somehow they're good and they're important and they're educated because that's not going to help us.
1: And that's the story of Colin Kaepernick. I mean, at the end of the day, this is why people fear Colin Kaepernick, because he's a free black man. He thinks for himself and he uh, has openly challenged the status quo and, was willing to give up his livelihood to do so. So I think of Colin Kaepernick in that regard.
2: I'm I'm going to continue to move on because this book is so loaded. And I know we're running, I don't know, we're running out of time. But I really need to know that I want to jump into Chapter 7 that talks about a toward post-racial society or uh, rebirth of a nation. I really want to jump into that. But I have have to ask this question because you, in the introduction, you really talked a lot about France Spinoff and the black skin white white and W.E.B. Du Bois, the soul of black folks. Now, what in their, 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 I guess, talking about double mindedness, what in that context felt that you were, that you felt that this was important to put into historicizing fear? Why did you pick Fanon, Fanon, France Fanon? Okay, Travis,
0: you could take Du Bois, i will take Fanon.
1: Sounds good. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, With WEB Du Bois, um, you know, he coined that term "double consciousness" and uh, the souls of black folks. This idea uh, that African Americans are living—you know—they have to live in a white world, uh, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, they have to still operate under the uh, under the aspects that they're they're black. That they. Have to navigate in a world that treats them differently, but still conform at the same time. And if you think about that from a broader context, in terms of fear of the other, you know, how does a black man in the early twentieth century, you know, this color line, you know, where this this notion where this color line was um, was framed, how does one walk in that in a world where uh, there was a low point in race relations in this country? So I thought it was important that. Uh, we know that specifically the Bois, as well as Fanon, but in terms of the Bois, understanding that narrative and where it comes from, understanding the black mind.
0: Right. Mm. And if we think about Fanon and we think about Wretched of the Earth mm-hmm. and what he talked about, he was also looking at people of color as a man of color in a French, um, in a French colony. And one of the things Finan talks about is those who are walled in and those who are walled out. And for us, it's like, so if you think about that, right, and think about the United States, Those who are those people who are walled in and who are those who are walled out? Those of us who are walled out are African-Americans, mm-hmm. poor whites, women, Hispanics, Asian-Americans, Right, um, Asian, uh, Native Americans, people, people who are LGBTQ, immigrants, people who are non-Christians, Muslims, Jews, etc. Anyone who does, is not a part of the white, Christian, straight narrative is pretty much walled out.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And so what do we do about those people who are walled out? The people who are walled out are the people that we create narratives about that the reason they're walled out is these people will probably come into your homes and kill you. Mm -hmm. That's why they have to be walled out. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you need to fear them. That's why they are the other. That's why they are not doing as well as everybody else. It's not because this country hasn't given them an opportunity. It's because they haven't taken up those opportunities. And the moment they do, they'll be walled in. But until then, they're going to be walled out. And I say, screw you. (laughs) We know that's not true. We know that we've been working hard up in this piece since 1619. Mm -hmm. And we haven't gotten anything from
2: this. And it's just a continuation of that white power structure.
0: Exactly.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But what I want my poor white friends to realize as well is that that white power structure is also walling them out. Yep.
2: Wow. And I think they're starting to see that now. I think they're starting to understand it and see it. And that's why... yeah, and, and, they, and they're starting to bring up, you know, racial issues, racial tension, and racial tent, uh, violence. And we, and what's going on with injustice from the different people who want to continue this, this white power structure because they know down the road those numbers are, the population is decreasing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, but I know... That
0: is, I, why they keep us, that is why they keep us separated because they know the moment my poor white brothers and sisters join us with all my Asian American brothers and sisters, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, LGBTQ, people of different religion, immigrant backgrounds, etc., look, we'll we be the majority in this country, and, there's, and you can't stand against that. So the best thing to do is to keep us separated because that's the only way you can push this narrative about all you have to do is work hard. People are just saying this stuff because of... No, uh-uh. we we No, uh-uh. That, that rhetoric doesn't work with us anymore. And that is why I am saying to everyone listening tonight, like, look, don't listen to, to whatever these... PR companies are going to come up with for these campaigns about who you should vote for and what you should do. Right. Think, look at your own family. Uh-huh. Look at what is happening with them and ask yourself, if we need two things, two, that is going to help us out of where we are right now, health care and education, who is going to provide that for us? in a way that we can at least be successful. That's how I want my brothers and sisters who are a part of the oppressed community to think about this. And look, there's no candidate that's going to be perfect. We have to be realistic about the country we're living in and what has happened historically, right? This is not about, oh, just you're living in a fool's world. And No, 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 no. It's about looking at what we have what has happened and that none of this has brought us anywhere this is like for the first time is and i agree with travis that people are concerned that bernie may may hurt the down ballot mm-hmm. those on the down ballot but if everybody is thinking the same way like look we cannot let let these pr companies that these candidates have hired to construct their messages determine how we vote we need to look at our own situations look at where the candidates are and say look who is going to help us get out of this i'm in ohio who is going to help us with this opioid epidemic i see my friends children of my friends who've died from overdose wow and i hear president trump talking about in the State of the Union about the things that they've done with the opioid epidemic. What? No, what? Come to my county and look at what's going on with my poor white brothers and sisters.
2: Mm-hmm. Powerful, that's potent. This
0: is not sustainable.
2: Mm, that's a lot to think about. A lot to discuss on a platform too. Very Absolutely. So let's go. On. I want to dive into you guys' section, the essay you've written while I have you here. And we probably got about 10 more minutes. Huh? <laughs> but um, in your chapter, you wrote Towards a Post-Racial Society or a Rebirth of a Nation, White Anxiety and Fear of Black Equality in the United States. You come from a stance of the Birth of a Nation, which was in February 8, 2015, marked the 100th anniversary that released um, which was released of w, D.W. Griffith's controversial film. For those that have been, a lot of people have seen Birth of a Nation, but it's a while ago. Can you just give us a basic overview of Birth of a Nation and why you chose to use this as an example to deal with post-racial society?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, February eighth, I believe, uh, 1915, a ne- hundredth 100- Five years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, D.W. Griffith. Yeah, um, Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's yeah so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so D.W. Griffith released the film Birth of a Nation. Um, so this year marks the 105th anniversary of it. And it was actually screened at the White House. Um, President Woodrow Wilson, um, you know, noted that it was like uh, writing History of Lightning. And so the film looked, uh, the plot of the film was based on the Civil War, but more importantly, the Reconstruction era and the American South. And it focused on two families, one from the North, one from the South. And uh, it framed, essentially, it framed the notion that African Americans uh, post-slavery were viewed as rapists, uh, as savages, incapable of self-rule, deceivers, And it was whites that had to take that and uh, re-control the South after the American Civil War, thus debunking the myth about Reconstruction or changing the narrative about Reconstruction. And what was more... The uh, the impact of that film was that it introduced the Ku Klux Klan, Mm -hmm. and the Ku Klux Klan were ultimately viewed as the heroes of the film. And as a matter of fact, Hollywood... um, The modern-day Ku Klux Klan was based on the birth of a nation, like with the pointy hats and the white sheets and the burning crosses. That was all Hollywood. And uh, David Duke, uh, who supported Donald Trump, you know, former Mm -hmm. uh, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan from Louisiana, used the film The Birth of a Nation as a recruiting tool in the 1970s uh, while a student at LSU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So The Birth of a Nation has... uh, Uh, has a long-term impact in terms of how America has dealt with race and how they viewed race and how they shaped or at least stereotyped, African-Americans thereafter in film as well as in life. So we thought that was important to um, use that as a a conceptual framework for our piece where we look specifically at, you know, are we truly living? You know, so Mm -hmm. we're looking at the President Barack Obama era, are we truly living in a post-racial society as scholars lay people would say because we have a black president or are we experiencing a rebirth of a nation now we didn't predict this when we wrote this chapter this was during the this was before Trump was even considering running for president uh, but I think, you know, after the publication of this book, it, it uh, calls for a reexamination. You know, Trump represents that birth of a nation, that rebirth of a nation, that heroic yeah. Ku Klux Klan parade that paraded after they destroyed the old order, the which was African Americans control of the political economy during Reconstruction. There is some interesting and powerful symbols in our chapter and also, I encourage everyone who's listening to watch The Birth of a Nation and think about Birth of a Nation in the contemporary context, especially events leading up to the 2016 election.
2: And how were Blacks really depicted in Birth of a Nation? Can you expound upon that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Do you want me to do that win some or you want me to go for it?
0: Oh, you go ahead.
1: Okay, absolutely. In fact, there's a, uh, you know, again, for folks who are listening, you know, there's a uh, a a memorable character by the name of Gus, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Gus was depicted as the the rapist, the black brute. Mm-hmm. Um, in the film, he was a soldier in the in the army, African American free man. You know, has his captain's bars, and he has eyes uh, for a young white woman who happens to be. Uh, the younger sister of the founder of the Ku Klux Klan in this movie. And he goes after her. And instead of the young woman submitting herself to him, uh, she ultimately commits suicide. And this is where the Ku Klux Klan comes into play and gets involved. So that's one depiction. Uh, Also, there's a memorable scene in The Birth of a Nation. uh, And this takes place in, uh, just to back up, The Birth of a Nation... The primary uh, place where it takes or it takes place is in uh, uh, Piedmont, South Carolina, which is a fictional place, but you can kind of get to understand the context of South Carolina, the American South, uh, within the Birth of a Nation. But there was a, a legislative session in the film where now these newly elected black officials are in uh, session. You know, some are drinking alcohol. They're taking their shoes off. They're eating watermelon. They're eating chicken. All the stereotypes about African-Americans are played out in that scene. And so to the viewer in 1915 who's watching this film and is seeing this, this may confirm his or her perception of African-Americans, that they're lazy and they're incapable of self-rule. And this is why Reconstruction this period of 1865 to 1877 had to be overturned because black Americans who had just been emancipated from slavery, you know, you know, received the, thir- you know, the country uh, implemented the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, and this was all a mistake because African Americans are not capable of ruling themselves. So this is why we have Jim Crow segregation, you know, to keep these people in line because they can't do it for themselves.
2: And I want to go, you know, I want to just... You make an interesting point in here. Oh, did you want to add something? When some? Something...
0: Oh no, that's
2: good. <laughs> I want to I go... know we only
0: have ten minutes, so <laughs> I want to make
2: sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Good. Yeah, and it's, it's it, he, you guys conclude that this chapter will examine what this chapter does examine: the fearful framing through constructive and fictive fictive black beasts, and the use of public policy law as a means of controlling the demonized black body. Can you go uh-huh. and? You know, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier. Can you can you really define what did what that fear is of the black beast and the context you're using in in terms of post racial society?
0: Okay, uh, sure. So if we think about um, oh Travis, you were gonna go.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead, Winsome.
0: Okay, if we think about um, Mike uh, Brown in um, if we think about Ferguson. Mm-hmm what happened and how they defined him as being tall and big that is a that is a quintessential definition of creating this fearful framing here is this big black guy tall muscular so of course people are going to be scared and so if we go back to looking at the framing of how he was framed in Ferguson is that that big black beast is also a part of that framing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that is also significantly why that is problematic. But the other piece to think about with that is black men don't have to be, they do not have to be big or tall or muscular. All you need to do is be black.
1: That's right. Exactly.
0: On the Oscars, I was telling, saying to Travis the other night, um, yesterday actually, last week what Chris Rock was talking about, Mahershala Ali, who uh, was nominated uh, for the Green Book, and he was saying that he already has two Academy Awards, and he said, you know what that means when the cops stop him? When the cops stop him? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Yep. So and everybody was laughing. But clearly what he's saying is, it doesn't matter who you are in this country. If you have a black body, you are a threat.
1: And and this is our chapter with President Barack Obama that at the end of the uh-huh. day, you know, you know, Harvard educated uh What was it? President of the Harvard Law Review. You know, he he met all the qualifications.
2: And he's the one that Uh, said, Trayvon could have been my son.
1: Exactly. Uh Exactly.
0: And he was chastised for even saying that.
1: Right. Right. So, at the end of the day, if they can attack the President of the United States, (laughs) they can attack me. They can attack my brother. They can attack anyone. So, those are things. They can frame it in a way to discredit anyone. So, this fear of the black body in this regard, this fear of the black beast, you know, it's all about the framing of, in this case, black masculinity mm-hmm. as a as a threat. So, our, you know, for example, in our chapter, you know, we cite an example. You remember the one, uh, the section in The New Yorker, that iconic uh-huh. picture where yep. President Barack Obama is dressed in, you know, the the traditional garb and is yeah with michelle obama and her
0: right
1: right, and her afro and you know fatigue you know army fatigues you know looking like a black nationalist quote unquote um Mm -hmm. you know it's framed that way you know to invoke this fear that these people can't be trusted that they're dangerous that they're violent
2: and you take this and you take this into various aspects because you said the fear of the black beast in the workplace, and then you go uh, fear of black-armed militancy, which we touched on a little bit when we touched on Malcolm X. And then we talk about the fear of black elected officials, and it's just the fear of the black beast, excuse me, the black beast Barack, and the black beast is a Muslim. Um, And we just go over all these different obstacles and uh, to... uh, just various obstacles to transforming the racial discourse. And it's just, I mean, this is power-packed in terms of what we need to understand about the future and how we need to really address the political thought, I think you said it earlier, and a scholarly discourse that's tied to it. Um, did you want to add anything else you talk about, the you talk about the church and the impact of the church? I just when you deal with the black beast you deal with that's an interesting concept since we're on the heels of savior day how did you bring that into context in terms of the black beast is a muslim how do you, you guys broke that in and it's, exp, it's explicit promotion of christian ideology in the birth how did you guys combine that that fear into this and in this um oh book?
1: Uh, yeah i can answer that question if you, if you want me to okay, jump on that one. so if again i for those who are listening, you know, uh, go to YouTube. You know, it's, uh, it's, o- it, it's open now it's in terms of copyright because it's over 100 years old. And watch The Birth of a Nation. Okay. And more particularly, watch the second half. The most important part is that second half of the film. It's about a three-hour film. And this is the post-Civil War Reconstruction era. Now federal troops have occupied the old Confederate South. That's now back in the, is now been put back into the United States of America, and it's these black troops, and these black troops are, you know, at least in the film, they're depicted as renegades. They're running around, they are rude to the white citizens, they are bullying them. You know, I mentioned Gus earlier as being this sexual predator. So if we were to draw some parallels of that fear of the black beasts, in this sense, you know a black man well in a sense with the birth of a nation, a black man in a military uniform holding a rifle yes. <laughs> you know, to a now emasculated white man. We can draw parallels with a President Barack Obama in that propaganda uh piece in, in the front page in the New Yorker, along with Michelle Obama who ha who's yielding ak K forty seven. And they represent the power structure now in this country. So there's some parallels there. There's Mm -hmm. in terms Mm -hmm. of how white America views black Americans, that they're supposed to be in a subordinate position. Mm -hmm. Now they're in this. But
0: also that the sphere of any religion that is not Christian. Right. Right. So there's that piece. It's like, okay, you're Muslims. So because we don't understand Islam and what that means and what we are we are we are constructed to think about Islam, is in uh, the role of terrorist. And so, if you hear, oh, they're Muslim, it's oh, they're different. They're not like us. We should be scared. Are they going to bomb us? Are they going to do something wrong? Are they? Should we run out of this building? That's the that's what they wanted to create. And even today, people are there's this narrative still going on about. President Obama is a Muslim,
1: and and we're just like, okay. That's all right. so old. That's so yeah. 20, 2015.
0: <laughs> okay, and so what if he's even a Muslim? Right. Islam is about peace. It's Absolutely. Fundamentally about peace. Right, and they, 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 it, it's always
2: during his elect, election campaign, they tried to get him. Or religion and religion affiliations and it it, and they tried to instill that fear when it comes to whether he was dealing with jeremiah Wright or he was Mm -hmm. dealing with oh yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, or any other spiritual Mm -hmm. leader trying to get a post on his views and philosophy philosophy and ideology through religion and you and Michelle, who understands history, and I, I i know that had to be his right hand because she has an education in African-American history and is kind of a blueprint in all the different strategies that people will try to put that fear so you won't have the heart of the people. Um, but they didn't, they couldn't win. But I want to, I, I know we're, we've got two minutes left.
0: And do you have any closing remarks? This is remarks? why I want my people to learn our history. So that when when people come and try to spit game to us, we can go with "You can't tell me nothing." <laughs> you can't tell me nothing.
1: <laughs> I love it.
2: <laughs> I want to say that you know, this book. Please, the doc, uh, bookshop supports the Doc Power Hour. Please go online or stop by the bookstore and get this book: "Historicizing Fear." Ignorance, vilification, and Othering and it's edited by Dr. Travis D. Boyce and Dr. Winston M. Chenu, And you can go to ww.thecbookshop.com. It's a feature book. Um what else? Um you can also come in the store. I don't think it's on ebook yet. It's is it on on ebook?
1: I believe it is. It if is it's out on ebook. e-book it yes. will
2: be on the doc bookshop. I'm sorry. I put the book out there and I can't remember if it's on ebook, but if the ebook is out there, it is on the website and you could probably visit their pages. How do people get in touch with you if they have any questions? Because we're probably going to play this like a whole bunch of times. Oh, <laughs> oh, <show>. a- oh <laughs> a-
1: sure. Absolutely. Uh, you can reach me, uh, my email address, uh, Travis dot boyce b-o-y-c-e at edu,
0: and you can reach me at winsome at oh, winsome, winsome, at chenu my last name c-h-u-n-n-u at ohio.edu
2: again check out this book if you have any groups get this especially if you're if you have a um Black History Club or a political group or anything. Mm-hmm. This deserves some dialogue. This deserves some discussion. Um, we're in a very a serious political season and I think in terms of how we make our decisions, I think we have to deal with those things that tried, they tried or the system tried to use as a weapon and, and kind of cloud our decision-making ability. But when you see that, you can Go ahead and go beyond that ignorance and kind of say, hey, we're going to still stay on this path. And if you want to know more about you, I'm sure you can look up hashtag Bernie Bay. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and go ahead and visit the doc bookshop and doc community. We will be posting excerpts on this, especially since we talked a lot about the politics in the first part of the show. So, We're going to just pay attention to our uh, social media feed because we're going to be putting out different excerpts and you could probably catch the show. You will be able to catch the show next week. I'll put in a schedule out so you can listen to this again and again, because this book has a lot of information (laughs) and we're going to definitely have to bring these guys back um, before November.
0: (laughs)
1: We'd love to be back. Oh, nice.
2: Okay, thank you guys for tuning in to Doc Power Hour. We'll see you again next week.